welcome into the Thunder Basketball universe. Thunder Basketball is officially back, and Nick and I are giving you our takeaways from the Thunder's first two games of its regular season, as well as talking about Coach Donovan and his Coach of the Year award, and the player messages on the backs of players' uniforms inside Orlando. It's all right here on the Thunder Basketball universe. Well, after 143 days of waiting, we finally got to see some Thunder basketball during a regular season game. And it started with a game against the Utah Jazz, the same team that the Thunder was set to face on March 11th. The game finally got played. And Nick, just leading up to that first regular season game, was just a whirlwind of emotions for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, probably more for the players and the coaches than us, but still, even I think the two of us, it was a little bit kind of strange. Just, you know, I was going back to my game prep from March 11th and, you know, trying to remember what was going on with the team then and, you know, obviously thoughts and reminiscing about that night when we were there in the arena till, you know, three or four hours after the game was postponed, yeah. trying to see if we could get any more info. Nick, the coolest thing, I think, was getting to the arena. And this was the first scrimmage game when we noticed this. But when we got to the arena, all of our stuff that was normally set out for that game on March 11th, like our our name tags on the scorer's table, was still there. It was like a time capsule. Yeah. Uh, you know, I left my phone charger there that night, but it wasn't there. So somebody <laughs> came in and, and snapped that up, but all of our name tags and stuff were there. So uh, you're right. It, I actually, I, I sent a, a photo to Chris and Kenny, who's the sideline reporter uh, for the Utah Jazz and said, Hey, we're still all set up for you here. <laughs> you guys want to come by. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was very different. Um, but the same, you know, it, it, we were going in for a broadcast, uh, but nobody else was there. Exactly, exactly. And it was the same game, the same team that the Thunder was set to face, but these teams looked completely different. I mean, the Thunder still had four and a half months to, you know, work and and get better and work on their own game to come back. And they put on an incredible performance. And, And leading up to that game, you could tell that they were really anxious to get out there and just get this game played. It was just kind of like a cliffhanger leaving off on March 11th. Yeah, you and I, Paris, were talking kind of over the last few days about how these games down there, the seeding games, it feels sort of like when your team is in the NCAA tournament. And yes, you've seen them all season long, but they go to this like neutral site and you just have no idea, okay, are they going to show up today? What are they going to look like? What's, you know, what's their vibe? It just, everything feels kind of bland and neutral in those settings where teams are just coming in and out of the same arena. And the Thunder passed that first test with flying colors. With flying colors. And it's it, here's where it really started, Nick. And it was during the national anthem. I mean, we saw unity and solidarity of this squad on an entirely new level. Um, as most of you have probably seen by now, the entire Thunder roster and the Jazz knelt across the Black Lives Matter in big font across the, the court. They knelt during the national anthem arm in arm, just showing a really, really united front in this fight for racial justice. Yeah, every every race, every nationality, every background, you know, the guys were together in doing this. Uh, what I think is cool is, you know, these, everybody's still an individual, you know, some of the guys have chosen different messages for the back of their jerseys. Some have chosen black lives matter. Some have chosen peace. Some have chosen just to go with their last names. And 
that's okay. And everybody's been okay with that. But I think that the one thing that they have connected with and to be there in support of their black teammates is to say, we are going to kneel in reverence to the lives that have been lost to police violence. And uh, I think that's was encouraging to see. And, and to hear from Coach Donovan, too, after the game of whatever the, the team needs, we are going to support them. And whatever, you know, Chris and the Players Association decides is best in this way, we're going to support them head on. And we saw that with Coach Snyder and Coach Donovan, both arm in arm with their team and during the national anthem. Yeah. And, you know, I think the best part is that all of these decisions have been made internally and whatever the result of them have been, you know, we've seen a couple guys throughout the league, not Neil, um, but there hasn't been, you know, this vitriol coming from their teammates for not doing that. You know, those conversations were happening in house. uh, And it, it seems like no matter what has been going on, no matter what message guys were putting on their back, the players have, had those conversations internally and are mm-hmm. banding together to be a family in those things. I think that's what's so important about all of this is, you know, taking this grand scale, you know, example of unity and allowing that to inspire the internal conversations and allowing that to really spark these small one-on-one dialogues about this conversation. And that's really where change happens, right? Like it, it, there are a lot of big things that you can do, but the more that you can kind of get on that heart to heart level and have these real conversations amongst one another without any, you know, cameras or, or any spotlights, I think that's where a lot of heart change happens too. Well, sure. I mean, you know, dictating to somebody in a, in a public setting is probably not going to get the results that you want, but being able to connect with someone on a human level, I think you're going to be able to see where those people are coming from and um, most likely have a reasonable, you know, agreement or, or solution. Yeah. And it, it just shows up in everything that the thunder has done when it comes to not only this fight for racial justice, but also their performance on the floor following that, that incredible act of unity, they put on a show in their first regular season game against the jazz and they waxed them Paris. Yeah. I mean, just held nothing back. 110 94 victory. Yeah. The, the thunder was sensational. Uh, great shooting, balanced scoring, you look at the stat sheet and really on both ends of the floor, very reminiscent of what the Thunder did during the regular season. High shooting percentages. The Thunder's you know, fourth or fifth in the, in the NBA in shooting percentage. Um, nice knockdown shooting from the three-point line. That was a, a really good thing to see. And then that balanced distribution that we've noticed all year long. What really stood out, though, Paris, was the defensive side of the ball. That's exactly what I was going to say. The defense that they set at the beginning of this game in terms of just the intensity and the tone that they came out with just set the stage for how the rest of this game was going to go. They got out to an early 29-15 to 15 lead in that first quarter, and thank goodness they did because they kind of had a little bit of a lull there in the third quarter where the Jazz sort of went on a run, but the Thunder had already built up their lead so far at that point that it didn't affect them much. You think about this, they hadn't played in a real game that counted for over four months. And they came out and they held the Jazz to the lowest point total in a first quarter that the Thunder had allowed all season long. So I think that commitment during those seeding games, during the two plus weeks of training camp that the Thunder had down in the bubble in Orlando, that was highly, highly focused on the defensive side of the ball. And I think we saw that uh, in that first game against Utah. Another indicative factor of that was that they held Mike Conley, they held uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to a combined 35 points. 
yeah, the big three for Utah, you know, they don't have Boyan Bogdanovich. That's a big loss for them. Um, but really nobody was able to kind of get off and get theirs. They kept Mitchell in check. They really hustled around the screening actions. And then Adams did a nice job with the team helping as well of just corralling Gobert and not letting him get a ton of those alley-oops and, and easy finishes around the bucket. That was a great first step for the Thunder in this this regular season movement, but they had a completely different test on Monday, which we're recording this on Tuesday, August 4th, and the Thunder just lost yesterday in overtime to Denver in an, uh, a low-scoring, just grind-out battle, a, a foul-heavy game. It was just a really different game for the Thunder. Some of the rhythm that the Thunder kind of lost in that second half against Utah that Billy Donovan rightly picked up after the game. Billy was actually not super thrilled with the second half of, of the Utah game that kind of carried over to, to this Denver game. The thunder had a really hard time getting into a flow. Uh, it should be noted. Dennis Schroeder left the bubble to go be with his wife as they were having their second baby, a baby girl. Uh, everything I've seen looks like baby's healthy from, you know, Instagram reporting that we can do. So uh, that's hey. very exciting news. And um, the Thunder is obviously extremely supportive and thrilled that he is um, spending that time with his family. But that, in addition to Terrence Ferguson being out and some early foul trouble, uh, there was some just disruptedness in the Thunder's offensive flow. SGA got uh, picked up five fouls uh, early in that game and had to sit for quite, quite a bit of time. Steven Adams was in early foul trouble with two quick fouls. So it's just kind of tough, uh, tough sledding, as they would say. And for Denver, the context for them coming into this game, they were without Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Gary Harris, down three starters. And the in their first game against Miami, they were really struggling to kind of find their own offensive rhythm. So this game for them was an opportunity for redemption on being able to come out and play with that intensity and that energy. And they really set the tone from the beginning for the Thunder. Denver, that game for Denver was kind of like an existential crisis. If you just read some of the quotes coming from Mike Malone after their loss to Miami, some of the, the articles, Paris, you sent me an article yeah. coming out of Denver that uh, it there was some, I think, a, a back against the wall sort of mentality for Denver mm-hmm. going into that game. And Nikola Jokic and then Michael Porter Jr., uh, I mean, he was unconscious. Um, uh, yeah. A career-high 37 points for Michael Porter Jr. and just got out to a huge start offensively in the first quarter, setting the tone of what he planned to do to help kind of pick up the slack for those three lost starters. I remember sitting there with you, Paris, inside Chesapeake Energy Arena, and as the second quarter went along and the Thunder kind of made that little rally to actually get back in front at halftime, you and I were both like talking to each other. Like I have no idea how the thunder is in this game because Denver just seemed to be in more control. Their, their uh, opportunities to score were a little bit easier. Uh, The thunder hung in there to their credit. Um, But then down the stretch, they built a lead and and kind of surrendered that lead. It was very different than what we had normally seen from the thunder in crunch time. Uh, OKC just could not quite hang on to a little six point lead that they had built. They did manage to still force overtime. And Nick, the the interesting thing here was that, you know, that normal fourth quarter clutch time excitement that you get when it's, you know, your team is down maybe one, two, three points and there's less than a minute left. All that excitement, it it was just kind of a little flat because every turn of events happened at the free throw line, it felt like. Yeah, and and the biggest one was 
uh, of all guys, Chris Paul, uh, just going one for two at the line with a handful of seconds left, that would have actually been the go-ahead point for the Thunder if he had made both free throws. OKC got a stop on the defensive end uh, right after that. Uh, who knows if it might have been different if Chris makes the bucket. But uh, still, that was, uh, that was uh, uncharacteristic, I would say. And then going into overtime, the Thunder was 4-0 and up to this point going into overtime throughout the season, but was outscored 12-4. to And really, it was Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. just really setting that tone for Denver. Jokic was great down the stretch, and the Thunder just really didn't have any answers. The shots were kind of short. And Billy Donovan and everybody has said, and I think you kind of see it across the league here in these seeding games so far, there's going to be some clunky basketball. There's going to be some ups and downs and fits and starts as these teams get their feet back under them. With that said, an overtime loss to Denver, who's the three seed in the West coming in, in overtime, I mean, it's not a bad loss for the Thunder by any means. And it's a good learning lesson, right? Like you, you go into these games and you have to have these sort of situations under your belt so that when this sort of thing happens again, maybe in the first round of the playoffs, you're ready for it and you know what to expect from your team and, and from your coaching staff when you're in these sort of situations. Now, Nick, this really is a good transition for our takeaways from these first two games. We'll start with you. What was one of your big takeaways from the team out of these first two games? I think it was the turnovers. The Thunder had 22 against Utah, and that really says something. They Imagine the offensive night that they could have had if they had kept those turnovers down. And then 16 against Denver, they average about 13 and a half during the course of the season. Uh, so that those were two like really big outliers. Turnovers were an issue during the, the scrimmage games as well. Uh, natural as this group is getting back together. But the one thing that I think Billy Donovan has said all season long is, there's really there, this Thunder team is not going to just toss it to somebody and have them go play ISO and get a bucket anytime they want. Right. They have to play together. They, their margin for error on the offensive end is not extremely high. Mm-hmm. And Paris, as you know, in this league, these games come down to one or two possessions usually. Yep. And if it's one or two extra turnovers that you have in a game, that could be a difference between a win and a loss. You have to be able to control what you can control, and and turnovers were one of them. And like you said, Nick, like that Utah Jazz game, there wasn't a lot that went wrong for the Thunder, but one of those big takeaways from Coach Donovan was if we had not shot the ball as well or mm-hmm. if we didn't get to the free throw line as much, those turnovers would have really been a big factor in this game and maybe given Utah a chance. Um, my takeaway is it's kind of along the same lines. It's a controllable for the Thunder, and, and that's the free throw line. And it played a huge factor in the Denver loss. Um, the Thunder sent Denver to the line 39 times, which is a season high for this team, who is known for not allowing opponents to get to the free throw line. At probably the it is the lowest clip in the league, right? Like that's that's accurate. Second second fewest free throw attempts allowed, but uh, in terms of like percentage of points, um, free throw attempt rate. I won't mm-hmm. bore you with the you know calculus there, but yeah, the, the Thunder has been one of the all time best free throw differential teams in the league uh, all season. And Paris, you're right. I'm really glad that you pointed this out too, because it wasn't just one free throw that Chris Paul missed. It's putting Denver to the line that many times, it works on both ends of the floor. 
And anytime you give a team, you know, that many opportunities at an easy bucket at that high of a clip, you're going to allow them to get into some sort of offensive rhythm. It's not even as much as, you know, allowing them to put points on the board, but allowing them to see the ball go through the hoop for them. That's another mental factor that they're going to have to take into consideration. And it's an easy thing to fix if, you know, you, you guard without fouling and you, and you make that a priority. Well, here at the Thunder, we like to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is that Coach Donovan was voted by his peers as the co-recipient of the 2020 Michael H. Goldberg National Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year. That's a mouthful, but it is an incredible honor for Coach Donovan and very well deserved. Paris, you deserve some sort of prize for spitting all of that out in one take. Let the record show. (laughs) One take wonder, Paris Lawson, knock that out of the park. Thank you. This one, though, Paris, this is really special. This is not the big award that is like the official NBA award uh, that will happen and and be announced later during the playoffs. But this one's really cool because it's actually his peers that voted on it. The, The NBA one is voted on by media. This is the other... 29 NBA coaches uh, determining that Billy Donovan and Mike Budenholzer were the two best coaches in the 2019-20 season. And we just had him on the pod recently, and I think we got into his head of kind of what makes him so successful in these sort of situations. He writes everything down. (laughs) I mean... And that explains a lot. If you write it down, I, I, this is an actual statistic. You write things down, you're more likely to remember it than if you type it up. And I really think that that was instrumental in his success this year. That's why I have to write down the times that we record these pods because <laughs> otherwise I'd have no chance. Uh, no, Billy has done an amazing job this year. One thing that stood out to me about what Thunder General Manager Sam Presti said about Billy was just tactically how clever he is. He can look at a guy like Steven Adams and reimagine him, you know, Every four years in college, when Billy was at Florida, he's got a completely new group of players, and he's got to look every single year, okay, what can this guy do? And it's less about you know, putting players into boxes and more about having an open mind about what they're capable of. And, and I think the same thing happened with the three-point guard lineup this year too. Uh, yeah, that's the, I'm glad you brought that up because it, there are a lot of coaches that would have looked at that and just seen an absolute riddle of, okay – these are all starting caliber point guards and they can, I, I have to distribute these minutes evenly and there's, there's no way I can make this work. And I mean, a lot of this credit goes to the guys for making this work too and their cohesion on the floor, but coach Donovan for really allowing these guys the space to be able to make the most of the, the skills that they bring to the table and make it work. And now it's part of one of the most efficient lineups in the entire NBA. It's now time for Made You Look. And Nick, we've talked about this. What's made us look is the performance of Hami during these these games in Orlando. Obviously, that time off for him was so valuable to be able to, you know, get his body right and really build up his confidence as a player. And you're seeing that play out in his performances over these regular season games. It, they're, they're very small sample sizes, but against the Jazz, Hami had nine points. And against Denver, two points. But seven rebounds, four assists, just really showing off his versatility and well-roundedness. He can kind of be that Swiss Army knife. You look at the Denver game, and that was a game where this Thunder team was going to clearly need rebounding from all five positions on the floor. And as soon as he's thrown into the game, you just see Hami sticking his nose in there and grabbing rebounds over guys that are 
four, five, six inches taller than him. Um, so I recently, Paris, wrote an article called Hami on the Rise, and it kind of speaks to what you pointed to earlier, which is Hami finally getting the chance to let that confidence brim. You know, he's had a career so far that's kind of gone in fits and starts. He had a, a tough injury his rookie year. It was really scary when he fell in Golden State. And then uh, this, this past year, he had a, a rough collision with LeBron James. His arm whipped into Mike Muscala's same arm that he had had offseason surgery on. So that kept him out for, I believe, 17 games. So now the restart, again, giving him this fresh opportunity to, to go out and be a contributor in a lot of different ways. Uh, Paris, you probably remember the beginning of the season when Hami was just this defensive energy machine. Absolutely. And that's, that's really what set the tone for Obviously this is my first season with the thunder and I was just getting to learn these guys. And one of the things that I wrote down for Hami was just defensive energizer bunny. I mean, he's just all over the place and no doubt that he is one of the most explosive and athletic players. And one of the things we hear from coach Donovan a lot is for Hami, the big thing that they're pushing with him is just confidence. When you get the ball, know that you have this explosiveness and, and this athleticism. You should be looking to attack the guy in front of you. And we're starting to see that a little bit in these games. And it's coming at a really good time because, like we said, and Nick, you've mentioned this a lot, the Thunder is going to need everybody on their roster during this time. We're already starting to see it. They played without Dennis um, against Denver. And Terrence Ferguson was out in that game as well. Mike Muscala went down and the Thunder really needed help from their, their reserves. And to have Hami in, in Coach Donovan's back pocket is a huge asset for this team. He nailed a couple big threes in that Utah game. But the other cool thing is, just like we were talking about with Billy earlier, he's able to reimagine players. And he's used Hami as a role man, a screener and a role man, basically a, a power forward on the offensive end sometimes. Uh, and that's been a, a really unique thing to see too, just how his explosiveness, his quick feet can be used in those guard-to-guard screens. I think it also helps too, when we talk to Hami, and he's, he's been asked this a lot of, you know, his being used on the wing and, and being able to be that, that go-to guy on, on, as a role player. He's willing to do whatever the team needs. He has this mentality of, of just pure selflessness. And I think this played out. One of my favorite quotes from him from training camp was that, you know, he recognized that a lot of these guys left their families and their young children to be with the team. And that really helped motivate him to want to play hard and do whatever is necessary for these guys and this team for them to be successful, whatever role that may mean for him. It is now that point in the podcast where we want to bless your timeline. And Nick, you did a little early timeline blessing earlier in the podcast, talking about Dennis having his baby girl and everything's going great. Now it's time for another timeline blessing. It was, a, that, it was a timeline blessing appetizer, Paris. You know, now this go. is the full course. There you go. Just, just getting you ready, getting your appetite ready. And, but the Thunder blessed our timeline on their Instagram page where they showcased a few portraits of these guys' player uniform messages. And they had Danilo, Lou, Hami, Steven, Mike, and Abdul. Several of them were actually in different languages as well. Nick, what, were, what was your reaction when you saw these? Yeah, I love that it was like international relations happening. You know, you had Giustizia from uh, Danilo in Italy. You had Kia Kaha from Steven down in New Zealand. You had a message in French or Creole, um, uh, Haitian background for Lou Dort. 
and uh, you know, just a great medley of all these different things. I think that's such a great example of what can happen when everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. Yes, everybody has this same, you know, mindset and, and, and goal for justice and peace but they also have their own communities in mind. And so when you, ha- when you do that, this, this message can cross oceans. You've got Stephen Adams reaching his New Zealand um, population and you've got Northern Italy represented and of course, you know, Haiti and, and Canada represented. And so I just Montreal think- Montreal Nord, yeah. That's right, that's right. And you, when you have these communities in mind, you're able to really make an impact. I think that's so cool to see on this scale. Again, just uh, another show of- how Chris Paul and the NBA kind of provided a unique platform for these guys to be individuals and to express something that they wanted to. That's all for today's podcast. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much to our producers. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later. (laughs) 